This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. Today we're talking to the controversial Mark Llewellyn. <laughs> you said you wouldn't go there. <laughs> you said. <laughs> Mark Llewellyn, welcome. Hi, um, What's your official title now? You're a seven uh, executive producer? Executive producer will just do me fine. Okay. Yeah. Now, your latest triumph... Infamous executive producer will do me fine. <laughs> your latest triumph is doing very well now. It's Spotlight. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Is that the whole title or there? Should we say Seven News Presents Spotlight or...? Oh, well, there's there's very variations on theme, but Seven News Spotlight Presents... Okay. ...would be just fine. And then <laughs> it gives me the licence to present just about anything. Right, know, and yeah. that's that's the beauty of it because we can, you know, what do they say about uh, the best journalism? You paint on a very large canvas. <laughs> well, that's what was going to be one of my first questions. Yeah. What you seem to have started here is something that a is resonating with a lot of viewers, but gives you the a capability to go almost anywhere in terms of subject matter. You see, the, you know, I've always thought right from when I became a journalist and and had no idea what I was doing, not much has changed. <laughs> But right from some that, would say. some would say. But right from that moment, the, the the beauty of of look, the excitement of journalism is that you can cover virtually anything. You can do a war zone, or you can you can cover the the the, the, the local races. You can sort of talk about real estate prices in Sydney, or you can go and talk about how people are feeling about you know mental health or depression, or you can just tell a great yarn. That is the beauty of being a person who tells stories, and that's. That's the beauty of having a program like this is that you're not, you know, apart from the need to sort of provide stories at rate, you're not restricted in how you tell those stories or where you go to get those stories. And that is actually freeing and, and a joyful thing. Now, this, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is, well, I don't know, so I'll ask you, but is, I'm guessing there's not a big production group of people behind this but it's a it's a, a it's a small team and then you hire when needed yeah it's a bit like that uh the the new mantra in television is to do more with less and that's a terrible mantra actually <laughs> and i would like to say to all those people you like who, to discourage that <laughs> discourage that nobody ever erected a statue to an accountant <laughs> but unfortunately <laughs> That seems that's to be needed, that's what's needed. But I tell you what, um, to be serious for one second, um, what that does do, if you believe in the project, which I do and the people I work with do, what that does mean is that you have the license if you're prepared to work hard enough to be nimble, to be flexible, and to try things differently. Often because you have no other choice. You don't have the big resources. You don't have the vast amount of money. You don't have the sort of like. Um, the shackles of the heritage that you lived with, you know, you can go and be a bit different. And that's how you have to be if you're with a small team. And so, yes, you're right, we do have a small team. We don't have the biggest budget, but we do have a, a sort of like de a degree of enthusiasm that drives us. Yeah. In a way, is it like is it like Sunday night but, but sort of outsourced in a way? It's a bit like Sunday night. It's a bit like the early days of Sunday night. Um, back then, it was sort of Lecky, uh, David Lecky, who who sort of gave the support for uh, a startup company to have a crack. This time round, it's Craig McPherson and Angus and Angus Ross who've who've done the same thing. And and you know, at the end of the day, their brief is to to rate. But more than that, both of those guys um, have a desire to do stuff that 
satisfies them as journalists, satisfies them as program makers. And and within that, they've given me the licence to, you know, not be stupid, but to go and find stories and, and tell those stories in a way that um, appeals to an audience. And I, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it allows me to sort of like, you know, spread my wings and allow my team to be very creative in, in, in doing that. The only restriction we have is just the sort of like literal problem of, of having a small team and sort of trying to dig up stuff. We don't have, a, we don't have the sort of um, tanks and armoury of a 60 Minutes. Yes. <laughs> you know, we don't have serried rows of producers lining up each day to make phone calls. We're just out there as this sort of undercover team, sort of gorilla, gorilla team having a crack, you know, and who knows where to lead us. And is it a little ironic that you've probably got the time slot back that you lost during the years of Sunday night? Because you were pushed back later, weren't you, Sunday night? To yeah, it, it, some it, of the reality. It, it's shows. always been that dynamic. And, and um, I believe, <laughs> and I'll be careful how I put this, yes. that that Sunday night time slot is a wonderful time slot early in the evening, post the news, because you have an audience who are willing to, to watch and see stories that, you know, captivate, engage, you know, challenge them. And it is a beautiful time. And if and and, and while there is a sort of belief that reality shows and, and shows that, you know, hit the big mark will always work there, I'm of the view that this type of program can and will work there as well. So that's what I've been trying to achieve, to at least get those programs out and get a big big audience and get people watching and get some sort of sense that, yes, we can still achieve what, you know, in the early days of Sunday night was achieved there too. So, yes, in, in terms of irony, yes, there's a touch of irony. Um, I will say that in the, in the sort of like uncharted waters of, of commercial TV that being on air and being placed where you're placed is sometimes, you know, what you have to accept, you know. Um, you can't be too precious. Yeah. And sometimes it does work. If you've got a big audience flowing in, like Married at First Sight will deliver a big audience to 60 Minutes and they'll, they'll write off the back of that, it does work. But there is an advantage to having a time slot like this and a bit of certainty that gives the audience some sort of security and knowledge and understanding about what the program is. It's relatively early days, I guess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're probably, what, about eight eps in? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're soon into the series. Yeah. You know. So what's the sort of been the order at this stage, the commission? You, oh, you, no, look, you know... Um, you I'll get, I'll, I'll, the ratings are good? Or? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. There's certainly been um, a great deal of support from the network and they're really happy with the ratings. We've done very well I and mean, the demographics are good and, and feedback has been wonderful and we're certainly not sort of ashamed ourselves, which is always the first problem <laughs> you have when you step out. Um, I give credit to Craig, Craig McPherson here, because... You know, he's been through some tough times at the network. There was a period where they had to sort of tighten their belt. And, and you know, at the end of the day, sort of asking people to leave is nowhere near as much fun as creating programs that you can support and build and sort of claim as, as, as your legacy. And this is an example um, in one sense, not only of, of his ambition, but also of the network's ambition. They've been through tough times and now's the time, I genuinely believe, that they, they're thinking it's time to rebuild, um, you know, to put another brick in the wall. 
um, the task of this program initially was to prove that it could be that brick. I think we're at that point now. Now we just have to see if we can get a bit more mortar to make a few more bricks. Yeah. So, so the ambition is is to, you know, is to keep that that momentum going. I don't want to talk you out of any more tanks and armory that you mentioned. No, of before, course not. But, yeah. but as a viewer, I get the feeling that being lean and mean is working as an asset for you guys because you're, you know, you'll feel like you maybe I don't know you're punching you're punching above your weight maybe, you know, you don't have all the big, you don't you don't have the tanks and armoury, so it makes you really work harder on story. Well, these days for me personally to punch above my weight is a bit of an issue. But in terms of in terms of the analogy, it's a terrific analogy. And I even thought that in the early days of Sunday night. I always felt that as an underdog, mm. you know, as somebody who didn't have the resources, you know, of a 60 Minutes, as somebody who was sort of like having to establish themselves as the new player in the market, that the best thing you had was that desire. You know, if you feel you've got no, nothing else to lose other than the fact that, you know, you'll, you'll die on your feet and you'll die trying, then you can have a go at anything. And I think what that does is that inspires, it should inspire the best people. It inspires people to try things that are different, to, to really try as hard as you can to get stories that work. And, and in telling those stories, you've got to create a point of difference because you can't be the same as the rest. They're already there. You know, you've got to have a point of difference. And that means being in a clever way, in a clever way, something that's, that's really interesting but not the same. And that's what, and, I, and you know, to go back to your point, that's what being the underdog is and that's what, you know, I think we have an, uh, an advantage with. You know, we are flexible, we are nimble, and we are sort of a bit hungry. Yeah, yeah. We should mention some of the particular episodes and if we start anywhere, it'd have to be with Craig McLaughlin, yeah. I guess. It yeah. um, created a lot of noise. Um, which was something you really wanted to do to help establish the brand? Oh, 100%. Um, we needed to create noise. You know, this is, you know, compare, say, the period when we were starting Sunday night or even my times at nine, the, the, the market is so sort of congested now. You've got streaming services, you've got, you know, um, pay TV, you've got multiple channels here. You are fighting every inch of the way for eyeballs and ears and, and whatever and the audience. So you have to, 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 you have to stamp your mark very early. And it's hard to do, but you have to fight for it. And that was clearly one of the stories that we were after and it was clearly a story that had an impact. Yeah. Can you give us any sort of background that, that you're okay to chat about in how you got Craig's confidence? And, I mean, you hear all sorts of goss out there that, oh, Seven only did it because they want to run this drama again and things like that. But I'm <laughs> guessing that might have had a lot to do with it. No, it didn't. I, I Look... I'll give you an example. Um, Craig is a guy who's been badly burnt and, you know, he, he's gone from being top of the heap to being bottom of the heap and it's, it's hurt him deeply, you know, and you can have a, a, a varied opinion on, on his behaviour and on the behaviour of others. But the bottom line is that he was, 
He was skeptical about people coming and approach him and approaching him and skeptical about how the story would be told and whether he'd be getting a fair deal, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that involves building a relationship. And one of the things I'll give you an example is, is you know, Christmas Eve this past year, I went up to his place just to sit down and talk to him. You know, that's that's Christmas Eve. That's what you have to do. There was no guarantee of getting that story. I was there just post New Year's Day, doing the same thing. So it was a, it wasn't, you know, a deal a done. While. It took a while to win the confidence of him. Now, having said that, the 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 the, the important thing that I had to deliver was the notion that I wasn't going to go easy. You know, that there weren't no go areas. That people had to be, you know aware that our position was, you know, we're going to ask them tough questions. And so to do that, you have to win the confidence and then you have to be confident enough to tell, you know, how it's going to happen. Um, but it does mean there's a, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of literal work you have to do to drag a story across the line. And then you have to deliver, you know. The show... There were lots of highlights for me as a viewer. Yeah. One of the things I thought was pretty much overlooked by many people was the fact that Craig's on his way back. He's got a gig back in, I think, in theatre. Is it going to be in Adelaide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it might be Australia-wide now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think his career's sort of recoverable? That's an interesting question, and it's a question that he ponders quite a lot. (laughs) Um, Look, I think it is... um, but again, that take time, I guess. Would it? I, I, I think. I, look, it'll take time, and and I think the issue here is that we live in a superheated environment uh, these days with social media, with the way people can pile on, um, and 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 his was the most precipitous fall. You know, he was top of the top of the heap. He had Doctor Blake, he had Rocky Horror, and and then he had nothing, and then he lost not only, you know. Um, his livelihood, but in, in his sense, his will to live at one point. So, you know, you're dealing with all of that. And you're also dealing with the fact there were serious allegations and, you know, and, and he had to consider his behaviours as well. Uh, the question, the larger question is whether people should be banished forever, whether the punishment should last for all time. And I'm not of the view that it should. And I'm also of the view that, that you know, that there's a, there's a sort of like if you can allow forgiveness in your life, then people can rebuild their life. To, to answer your question, I think he can rebuild. You know, he, he's, he's, he's got the talent. He's got a woman who's amazing in his, his uh, partner, Vanessa. And he's also sort of like, you know, been hurt enough to rebuild and learn and possibly go on and I would like to see that happen personally yeah I, th- I think that was another eye-opener wasn't it what yeah. an amazing person Vanessa is oh mate and, that, and you saw her in her own career yeah uh, what she's doing with Craig you know well, well you know and it was another voice hmm. Vanessa had an important voice because not only was the problem was I didn't know who she was and the audience didn't know who she was I'd learned who she was as we went through the filming process super intelligent very supportive but not supportive this was the issue because the perception that I, I, I worried about and suspected many people would think about was that she would be like um, the supportive wife and those cliched political dramas standing by her man, you know, like Hillary Clinton saying, I'm not the woman stands by my man, you know, it's like, 
she's not that at all. She was an eyewitness to some of the events. She had a particular view that was really important and she had a strength that, you know, in a relationship where she became the person that helped him through many, many, I would say, mental health issues. She had a strength that, that, that needed to be, to, to need to be shown. And, and that presented a completely different view. If it was just Craig's story, I think it would have been a different story. But because of her involvement, um, I think it gave it a certain amount of depth. Possibly the most explosive thing, though, that took off was the outtakes from the ABC yeah. interviews, that extra footage. Yeah. Beforehand, you probably had a fair idea that this might create a bit of controversy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm not. I could have. I'm not trying trying to make light of it. No, no. Um, Look, here's my view. I have you explained how you got him? Yeah. No, no. And I and and it's not through. It's. I'll give you an example. When I was boned from nine, at some point before I did the deal with nine, somebody leaked my affidavit, Uh and I was the immediate suspect. But I wasn't the person. So the immediate suspects that people are thinking of are not the people. But I can't go any further than that. Um, You know, the the, the tapes, you know, for me the tapes were significant because I felt that in a story as contentious as this one, that the discovery of what appeared to be deliberate coaching, unnecessarily so, was significant. Now, the way I used them was not to colour the intro nor the outro and not to edit the in-between. It was what it was. You just presented them as part of the story? Yes, yes. But I think I think in a story where you're dealing with a person's career with the possibility that he's going to go to jail um, and the issues surrounding the, the, the sensational and also very important um, allegations being made against him, that you have to tread a very, very fine line journalistically. I was, I think the best word, surprised by what I found. Now, the ABC have responded in kind and they've, they've, they've said that they will not be lectured by the types of me, Mark Llewellyn. Um, I'd love to know who Which, they would be lectured <laughs> by. But, you know, I think, uh, to be honest, that there is a problem with taking the high moral ground and cutting corners because you're sitting on the top of that mountain. You can never do that. And that's what concerned me about what I was hearing and what I was seeing. I'm just interested personally to find out where do you sit when it comes to the ABC? Do you share the Sky News view that's totally unnecessary, we don't need it? Or so do so my, my, my good job? My, my, my training gown was the ABC. That's right. where I... And look, to, to be honest, I'm using that cliche, but, but my training ground was the ABC and that's where I learnt the values that I'm now espousing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, you know, that's where I learnt. The things that I, that I hold dear, I learnt at the ABC. So I actually value the ABC. It does a, a tremendous, tremendous service. And I have many friends there. And and for, for anyone to think that I'm criticising this for any other, any other reason that I was a bit surprised by what I saw and found is wrong. Yeah. Is there, is there any more Craig McLaughlin stories to come from you? Do you? Because I know you had a follow-up in one episode, didn't you? 
um, subsequently to the the main show. Um, is there stuff he would do in the future that you think would be worthy of following, or is there any other tales to this one? That I think I think at this point that look in his life, there's a few things to play out. Whether the defamation case will proceed, and if so, whether they'll win, uh, whether his new um, tour will work, and whether his career will be revived. All those things will happen. I um, you know, I would like to be a keen follower of that and if some of some or all of that happens we'll definitely follow it yeah yeah some of the other episodes again compelling viewing the martin bryant one. Oh yeah wow. it's um you know I, i'll be honest you think gee do i really want to watch this you know because i mean it's a big story but it's it's still quite hard if you lived through that didn't you, you know when it when it happened to, to have it relive it all again we, 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 you know, we queried that story and we, we thought about it quite deeply. But, and one of the things, what I'm, one of the things we are trying to do, um, me and Denham and, and others on the program, what we're trying to do is, is when we're telling these stories, I think there's a tendency sometime, particularly in the crime genre, just to retell what we already know. You know, um, maybe different voices, maybe some experts, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, I'm just about to fall asleep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> What we're trying to do is to find something we don't know and find something of significance. If we're going to run that story, it needs to be for a significant reason. And in the case of Martin Bryant, um, what Denham and Rebecca Cox, the producer, were able to unfold or, or find was, was new information. And that is, is I think, the driver. We, ha- we had talent that had never spoken before. We had these extraordinary first-person accounts, but we also had new information, and that was the driver that allowed us to, 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 to say, yes, we'll do that story. That prison officer. Oh, amazing. Well, some of the stuff he was saying, was that being picked up by other media? No, 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 but I mean, the, gee, it should be. I, I might set up my episode. own media. Gee whiz, it's yeah. some of the stuff he says. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Incredible. But, you know, there, there, there's a great series that was um, filmed in America some years back, back called The Jinx, and what it did uh, was to go back and tell a very extraordinary case, tell the story of an extraordinary case. But in telling that extraordinary case, what it did was to go back, find original source material, find the original news tapes, find the original players. And, and if you do that, what you find is that for them, the events that happened back then are as if they were just yesterday or even today. You know, their recollections are so clear. It's the most significant event in their life. And suddenly it's brought to life. And and all you have to do, and that's your task, is to find them, treat them with dignity and get their story. And that's what we were able to do. The cynic in me, when I see your um, the trailers for an episode, I go, well, come on, they're laying it on a bit thick this yes, week. Yes, yes. But then if you watch that episode... You think, well, okay, it's sort of justified. So, for, from what I've seen so far, you know. Well, it, that, that, that's a good point. There was, there was, there's. Uh, um, Tim Warner um, had a saying, which has always stuck with me: anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That if so you, if you promise something and don't deliver? The audience, you, you, you may get a good... The first time you do it, you may get a good audience. The right. second time you won't, and the third time they'll be turning <laughs> off in tries. So if you're going to promise something, by and large, you have to deliver. 
mm. and you'll lose their trust for yeah, future, yeah, yeah, yeah. future endeavours. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to do. I mean, you know, we, 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 we all fall into the trap. If you see one story this year, you know, it's like, it'll change Australia. All Australia will be talking, you know. Yeah. You know? But it, eventually it, it loses its currency, you know. And if you're going to do it, the, the hard thing for a program like this in a short season is that you want to establish some credibility. You want people to get some sort of knowledge of what the program is about. And if they come to accept that you will, by and large, deliver on what you promise and that you're going to have an, a good experience while you're watching and that at the end of it you might be debating, you might be angry, you might... If you feel some emotion, that's a very good thing. Um, and the way to do that is to consistently um, not over-promise and under-deliver. Right. The, as one of your things, you don't want to be too time sensitive, so these episodes will work. I mean, a lot of this stuff would work a treat in repeats, yeah, or on seven plus. I'm guessing, yeah. But there's also Is that part of it. Uh, there's a, there's a bit of it. I, I think to to take it a bit further, um, I was actually talking to somebody at nine recently. <laughs> God bless them. And um, no. How is Mike Snows me? Yeah. <laughs> He's terrific, but it wasn't him. Okay. And. Um, Try them. Yeah. Right. And uh, no, that was just a, it was just a mate who was passing okay. on some really nice comments. And, and But they were, what they were saying is, is that, you know, what we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, this can work in a, in a space that's normally normally reality-based. So they were watching the program. They were getting, it's kind of interesting. They can work in a program that's not in a space that's normally re- reality-based. But the next bit is that, you know, some of these things would, you know, fit well on a streaming streaming market. So, you know, Ross's story about UFOs, that is made for a multiple streaming, you know, episodic market. And that's part of it. I'm not trying to be an old Sunday night or an old 60 minutes. We're trying to sort of tap into the new sort of way of telling stories. So you've got to, when you look for something, you've got to, as you say, you've got to be able to offer some new element to it, but you also want a story that's already going to be pretty much widely known. Most times, but yep. not always. There are some stories that you can tell, um, but it's a hard. It's it's harder to bring people to the table. But there are some stories if you can if you, if the story is compelling enough, if the the talent is good enough, you know the story will work. The question is, can you bring them to the table? Um, and that you know that gets into the the promotion that you do for that story. Um, so I, don't, I wouldn't limit myself that we will only do sort of high-profile stories that, you know, people know because there are stories out there that, I mean, this one we're doing this week that people don't know of. It's a cracking yarn. It's about a prime suspect who's, you know, been involved in, in a mysterious death of his girlfriend. It's not widely known, but the story itself is a ripper. So so I won't limit myself to that, but there are other stories and there are other times where we just absolutely will go for things that, you know, audience knows and resonate. Sure. Now, you, you're able to tap into some good seven talents. So is Denham Hitchcock pretty much exclusively yours or yes. is he doing other stuff? Yes, too? no, no, he won't be allowed to go anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> he's tethered He's tethered old Denham to the program. Right. Um, and he's a real... T- you know, he's, a, he's an interesting cat. He... Filmically, he's trying stuff that I'll, there's there's a start to the story that we're doing this week, which is about Johnny Ruffer, and it's not the start I expected, and not the start I think the audience will expect, and it's quite brilliant, right. you know. And it's and a bit he of he came up with that. He came up with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a risk. 
Sometimes people say you need to stick to a format, a formula, and, you know, it should always be a teaser at the front and then you follow it with this or you, there should never be a teaser at the front and you start with this, whatever. I like the fact that we can throw the formula out and and the reason this works is not only because it's, you know, filmically in- interesting but because it sort of has an emotional depth that taps in very quickly to what the story is about and, and I kind of like that and Denham's brought that to the table. And um, X9 people too. Michael Usher, you've done a lot of work with yeah. back here. Um, um, he's busy elsewhere as well here, isn't he? Uh, Ross Coulthard, yeah. um, who was on Sunday night for a while, yep. wasn't he? But X60 yep. Minutes. Yep. I was surprised to see him doing the UFOs, but he's got a book out. So he's, it's a subject he knows a lot about. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, I, I think you could fairly say that Ross is an enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> but he has great sort of passions, you know. He's got this um, sort of like... I look at him and when he speaks, his hands are so vibrant, his face is open and he has these amazing passions, he's constantly thinking. And the trick for me in, in bringing people like Ross or Michael is to engage those, those elements of their personality that sort of like enliven me and make them as, as relevant and enlivening for the audience. But if, you've, if you bring to the to, to the story, somebody as as passionate as that, you're already ahead of the game, you know. And also, there's a, an intelligence, and there's a kind of, I kind of like there's a mischievousness about it. I mean, this is a subject that you could easily be derided for, ridiculed for, for tackling. But he's brought to it, you know, not only the passion, but the intellect, and also the the information that sort of shows that you know, say the American government is taking this very seriously. And suddenly, there's a different story, you know. Now, look, I sort of want to wrap this up by firing you a lot of questions about, a few about your yeah, favourite colour blue. Favourite, oh, you've been looking at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I don't say favourite colour, but you've done a few different jobs and you've bounced between seven and nine. Am I right? Two stints at nine, two stints at seven? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the metronome the of Australian TV. You've done about 10 at each, but it's not yeah, that yeah. bad. It's only two at each. Yeah. Right? But. But you've done a few different roles. You've been a reporter, you've been an executive producer, yeah. you've been a head of news and current affairs. Yeah. Um, what's What's been your best media job? Is it what you're doing now or or maybe it's that, but what else have you really enjoyed? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. I was too short in the role of head of news and current affairs at nine because I got so thoroughly boned and so mm. quickly. Um, I enjoyed the ascent and 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 the possibility of of what that would have led to. But what I've done more recently in the last few years, both at nine and at seven, is sort of do what I really love, and that's that's tell stories. Mm. Um, sometimes, like on on you know with Craig, I end up sort of asking the questions and sort of polishing off the reporter boots again. I kind of like that, you know, not not just for the ego, which I'll acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but because you know I like that I like being engaged in the story I actually get into it and I like and then I like the backroom stuff as well I like I like putting together stories and seeing how they're constructed I like the fact that so every on you like that yeah, well, every yeah. story is a jigsaw mm. and and you want to know you know how to tell it and how to sell it and 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 how it should end up but how you get there can be quite complicated and it's quite an intriguing process. Some people say you shouldn't be there, that you should leave you know, that process to others. But I think that 
at the end of the day, the story is the most important thing. It's the most what's get you. It's what should get you up as a journalist in the morning, and it's what should deliver to the audience to you in the evening. Mm. And and you need to be engaged by that, and and it needs to sort of like be coursing through your veins. So in a, in a sort of roundabout answer to your question, I love the art of storytelling. You because um, I think you, you were on screen now prior to Spotlight. Yes, a crime. Scene. Yeah, murder lies and alibis. Now, you're at on nine. the beach somewhere exotic. Yes, fantastic. West One of the Indies or no, Bahamas. Bahamas. Brilliant, right. fantastic. One so of you the, put your hand up. To get yeah, fantastic. <laughs> but That's the, very the, generous the, of you to say, look, I was there. the EP. I couldn't find a reporter, the only reporter <laughs> that was available to travel not just to the Bahamas okay. but to Las Vegas, San Francisco, Miami and the Bahamas oh, wow. was me. Okay. But I will say it was one of the great stories um, and and it involved an Australian Australian rags to riches multimillionaire who had died in in extraordinary circumstances, and the question was whether his wife had killed him or whether she was the she was the unwilling victim um, accused when somebody else had done it, and that was the story that uh, took me around the world. It was one of the best stories I've ever been involved with, to be honest. Um, but of course, you know, who else would take the trip? <laughs> what do you like at um, at, at criticism and, and looking at your own work sort of objectively, if you like, if that's possible? But, but um, are there people whose input you trust? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I don't think you can ever stop learning. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I have firm views. I don't think you can be in a position like this and sort of be wishy-washy. I think you have to, to have a, an opinion of how stories are told and what you expect and you need to drive a team that way. But you're never the font of all knowledge, and if you become too arrogant, you you sort of you lose the ability to learn. So, I mean, I will I'll, I'll give an example in the McLaughlin story. There was a lot of debate about various things that we used and did not use, and how we should tell the story. There was vigorous debate within the network, and 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 there were fights I won and fights I lost. And I'll say that some of the fights I lost, I should have lost. Mm. You know, so so if if you can't handle criticism then you shouldn't be in the game um but by the same token sometimes if you can't decide that your view is better than the criticism you can ignore it that's not a bad thing too sometimes you just have to stand up and say well no i believe this is the case it's how you walk that very fine line and you know and that that's that's part of the engagement of making television. It's part of the engagement of doing documentaries, you know, that, that you know, you have that kind of dynamic debate going on. So for the future, more spotlight would be good? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, are, there, are there other things that you've... Have, have you got ideas for specials or anything that might inform the spotlight? You'd Heaps. Like to get? Most of them have been, I've been told, are no good. <laughs> I want to do comedy, oh, no. <laughs> music programs. <laughs> I got a whole raft. <laughs> but, things, two things that have disappeared pretty much from TV, you know, commercial the, TV anyway. The, haven't they? There's a larger question here, and I know I laugh, but there is a larger question. One, one thing about free to wear is it has the capacity to deliver information and stories that are unique to us, to to, to Australians. You know, streaming services can tell things that are you know worldwide, but you know. Comedy, drama, news and current affairs are unique to us. And, you know, uh, 
I think all of those are things that I'd love to work in at some point in time. I, I you know, I, mean, I, I just find it interesting. Yeah. All right, my last question yeah. to you. Yeah. I think you've probably got a good handle on ratings. Yes. But have you? They're one of the hardest things to sort of judge and that it's sort of, I think, something that David Leckie was probably pretty good at, wasn't he, judging what the public how they would react to stuff. Have you got a bit of an idea, do you think? Of- yeah, I have a bit of an idea. I'm not one of those people that that, that watches the minute by minutes. I think they can be a trap because you can, you know, you can make a, oh, that didn't work that light, that night. Other nights it might. There might be a multitude of factors why something didn't work or did work. It's more difficult now. I used to think I could really, really sort of nail it, you know, years ago. But in this sort of, you know multi-segmented market, it's more difficult to know what people will or want, won't watch. I can, you know, um, Martin Bryant, I wasn't sure. But it was a, but in my heart I thought it would work because it was a solid yarn and, you know, we had a great telling of it and new material. So I'm, I'm less, less confident than I was, but, you know, I still have the confidence to believe that, you know, the stories that we tell will deliver. And I... Don't hate me for raising this, but one of the things I think you did in the past that yeah. I really misjudge how it would appeal was your in excess special. Yes. I mean, that seemed to tick a lot of boxes, but the public response wasn't as good as I thought it would have been. I mean, no, no. You I had said, new music, you had... It was, beautiful, so it was, things, a, be- it was a beautiful special and and it and, and I do judge you and I don't, <laughs> don't like you much at all, but <laughs> and it had critical appeal. I'm going to give a weird reason for why it didn't work that night, and that reason is that the ABC had Hillary Clinton on that night, and they rated eight hundred thousand. There's uh, lots of reasons things can't work. Yeah, and and a, a week later or a week before, we might have just nailed it. Right. Who knows? A week later and a week before, maybe we wouldn't. But the ABC had an spectacular program that dragged what would have been probably the audience that came to in excess. So I was surprised and sadness. You know, it's 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 the perpetual thing. You know, one time you're one moment you're up, one moment you're not on TV. Um, the, the, the program itself is one I remain proud of. It was a beautiful program. It was critically acclaimed, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, you, that's why I said when you ask me about the ratings, mm. I can't always predict. Yeah. Is it, do you, would you know if that's on 7 Plus still? That, well, I haven't seen it everywhere. It should be available on DVD <laughs> to every household or sort of Blu-ray. I don't know. Um, <laughs> should be I, I, should, I should check. I, it was, it was bloody good. <laughs> All right, look, it's been great um, talking to you, Mark. Oh, mate, terrific to catch um, up. Continued success with uh, what you're doing. We'll look forward to um, your Sunday night um, exposés. Oh, thank you, mate, and good to see you with more hair than I have. <laughs> Which wouldn't be hard these days. <laughs> thank you.